for checking out the Hope Culture Church podcast. To learn more and to stay connected, visit www.hopeculturechurch.com or follow us on social media at Hope Culture Church. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Hey church, thanks for joining us this morning. I'm so excited. Welcome to Church Online. A special shout out to all of you who are joining us for the first time. I hope you texted that number on your screen and uh, filled out that connect card because we can't wait to connect with you, learn more about you and your story and what God is doing in your life. I'm excited to preach this morning. We are uh, ending our wisdom series and we're talking about hope today. We're talking about the power of hope and I'm really excited for the message that we have in store. But before we jump in, I had a quick question for us. Um, For those of you in the room, you can raise your hand. Where are my forgetful people at? Who... (laughs) Okay, almost everybody raised their hand. I don't know if you're forgetful. Uh, maybe you pointed at your spouse or your spouse pointed at you. You're at a watch party and some of you raised your hand. Uh, all of us are forgetful to different extents and about different things. I know the more I have on my mind and on my plate, the busier my life is, the more I tend to forget, especially things like, where's my wallet? Where are my keys? All of those regular things are quickly forgotten because for some reason my brain does not think they are important. And what's funny to me is different people forget different things. Like I can remember things from movies for a pretty long time, especially, okay, sermons. I can remember those really, really well. I remember sermons from like 10 years ago, 15 years ago that still had an impact and mark on my life. Um, I know others of you are like, I can't even remember what you talked about last week. That's okay. That's okay. I still believe that it's making a real difference in your life. Even if you don't forget it, even if you do forget it, um, it's not for the sake of information. It's for the sake of transformation. So I really do believe it's still going to make an impact and a real difference on your life. But we forget things quickly. I was reading about it, um, and it says that within one hour, people forget an average of 50% of what you talked about. Within one hour. That means one hour from now, you're going to forget half of what I just talked about. And then give it 24 hours, and you'll have forgotten 70%. And then in one week, Next Sunday, when we're regathering or you're watching online, you'll have already forgotten 90%. That is so sad as a communicator. But the reality is, is if I'm believing that God does something through preaching that is different than just teaching, that a word can be planted in your heart that's going to take root and truly make a difference, whether you remember it or not. And my goal isn't just that you walk away with more information, but that it actually leads you to action. And so even if you start beginning to take an action in your life and forget what we talked about, that is still a win when it comes to what God wants us to have. But we forget things quickly. I, um, I would struggle if it wasn't for the calendar on my phone. I have twice in ministry, so that's the last eight or nine years, missed an appointment. Only twice. And that was because I forgot to put it in my calendar. And I felt really bad. You know, I texted them later in the day. Hey, I was supposed to meet you for breakfast. Totally forgot. Sorry about that. But I live by the calendar and it saves me so much because it's hard to remember things. And the reality is as human beings, we forget stuff. And that's actually natural. We're supposed to forget things. There's too much going on in our brain. We naturally remember the important things. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. The title of my message is Remember to remember. Remember to remember. Let's pray, and then we're going to talk about what that means. God, we ask that you would speak to us through your word. Would your word come to life? It is living and active. Would you do something inside of us that's bigger than what we're hearing, bigger than what we're learning, that it's supernatural, that you are transforming us and moving us and helping us be people of hope. And when it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So I want to look at a couple stories from Scripture today, um, one from the Old Testament and then one from the New Testament, both about remembering. The first one is from Joshua chapter 4. We're going to start right in the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1. If you want to start flipping there in your Bible, I'll give you a, lot, a little bit of context while you get there. So during this time, the Israelites have been wandering. If you're familiar with the Bible, uh, God's chosen people are the Israelites, and they were on and off following God all throughout the Old Testament. And so they had been in slavery for a very long time to the Egyptians, got set free. That's the story of Moses. Maybe you've seen Prince of Egypt, something like that. Even if you're new to the Bible, you maybe have a little bit of an idea of what's going on there. Moses leads them out of Egypt. God's doing cool stuff. Pillar of fire, pillar of cloud, splitting the Red Sea, all that great stuff. They start disobeying God, spend a long, long, long time in the wilderness. Joshua takes over from Moses and he's now leading God's people. That's where we're at in Joshua chapter four. They're about to go head towards the promised land, wrapping up their tour of the desert for the last 40 years. And God does what he had done at the beginning of this time, where he splits the water. This time, instead of the Red Sea, it's the Jordan River. So God's just given those instructions. We get to Joshua chapter four. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. All right, so God's like, Joshua, find 12 guys, one from each tribe, have them pick up a big rock and bring it to where you're staying. Verse four, so Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of Israel to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. I love this short passage of scripture, these few verses, because God just did something incredible. He said, bring the Ark of the Covenant into the middle of the river. And when they do that, the waters part and the whole nation comes through, which is interesting to think about because when you think the ark would get to the water, your natural tendency is anytime you have a lack of faith or something's going bad, you want the most important stuff to get through. So I'd be like, all right, kids get through, ark of the covenant, get through, let's go. But the, they stood there with the ark of the covenant patiently as the whole nation goes through and then they exit. And God says, I do not want you to forget this. It's abundantly clear. It's repeated. It's almost, it sounded like I read the same passage twice in a row in those four verses because God's like, this is exactly what I'm telling you to say to them. And then it records that Joshua told them exactly that thing. One person from each tribe, grab a stone and put those stones as a memorial. Some people call it the stones of remembrance. They're there to help Israel remember what God just did because over and over and over in the Old Testament, they so quickly forget. But the reality is, so do we. We are so quick to forget what God has done in our own life or in the life of the people around us, especially as things get hard. So that's what's true of the Israelites too. The harder their situation got, the more quickly they forgot what God had done. The easier it was for them to start doubting, to turn to other things, to worry, and all of that. 
And what's going on right now in our culture is that we are at a high point for anxiety, for people stressed out and worried. I know it's been true in my life at times during this season. It's been rough, you know, and as I've talked to other friends, whether um, they're in the marketplace or they're in ministry, it's been true across the board. This is a stressful season. I have yet to talk to a pastor, and I've probably talked to 10, 20 in the last few months, and they've all said this has been a hard, hard season, probably the hardest ever for them in ministry. And it's no different as I've talked to some of you. Maybe you've lost your job, you've been underemployed during this season, or maybe your job's been busier than ever um, because in some way work has ramped up and that's caused its own set of problems. Or, you know, you're, you're figuring out things with a new rhythm with your kids and with your family, or there's, there, you're in a leadership position and there's more decisions to be made than ever with less information than ever. And that just causes all of this stress. And we all handle that differently. Some of us, you know, we try to escape through different things. Some of us just get angry. Uh, some of us try to get more controlling and some of us get apathetic and we're just like, we, we can't deal with this right now. And we go take a nap. Everybody has their own coping mechanisms that we turn to, but what we really need is hope. We need to be able to come and believe that things are going to change. But the problem is we don't just want empty optimism. Because we've seen that. We've seen when people are just like, oh, it's going to be okay. And you're like, you just start sticking your head in the sand. I don't think that's healthy for you. I don't think that's actually doing anything. You're just delaying all the pain and grief for another time instead of dealing with it in reality. So I've been talking to God about this a lot because we are people of hope. I mean, it's built into the name of our church. We believe it's a biblical principle. We've talked about it over and over again. Our whole first sermon series as a church was on it. But what about now? What about in our current situation? What does hope look like right now? Well, the Greek word for hope in the New Testament is elpis. Elpis, um, which I love that it almost sounds like peace. That has nothing to do with anything, but I just think it's kind of cool. But really, that idea of hope is so different than how we interpret hope in our culture, uh, in the American version of English. How we talk and and think about hope is really different than LPs. LPs has nothing to do with your circumstances, which when we think about that, how can hope not have anything to do with my circumstances? Like, it's all about my circumstances. But that word in that time for Christians when Paul is talking about it over and over, writing to churches, when Peter brings it up, uh, when, when it's mentioned in the Gospels, it's referring to the past. It's saying, I have confidence about the future based on nothing from right now, but I have confidence on the future based on the past. It's the idea that we can have a confident expectation that God is going to do something because he's done something before that he's never let his people down in the past. It didn't always look like they expected it to or wanted it to or prayed for it to be, but he never left them out just to dry and handle it on their own. The, the idea of biblical hope is that God's done something before, he's going to do something again. And this is what he wants the Israelites to remember. We see it over and over in the Old Testament. You know, he's like, teach your family this. Deuteronomy 6, the great Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And he's like, teach this to your kids. Write it down. Talk about it before you go to bed. Talk about it when you're on your way to this, when you rise, all these different times. He wants them to get in the habit of remembering his faithfulness and who he is. So he tells them to grab these stones. 
And I, I, as I was thinking about this, as I was thinking about hope and processing this and having my own time with the Lord, really, of saying, you know, God, this season has been filled with hard times, with questions, with disappointment for me and for so many people. What does hope look like? And I just felt like he was leading me to this passage and leading me to other passages that talked about remembering the faithfulness of God. As I did that, as I just sat there and mentally went through, God, what have you done before? I was filled with peace. There was just this peace that came over me that was not from me. It was from God. As I remembered, wow, you showed up in that way that time in my life. You provided for us in that way. You, you called us to this thing. You, you made a way when the, we didn't see a way in, in this situation. And over and over again, I began to remember these things. So I thought, what if we, as people of God, as a, as a local church, started doing that in our own lives? What if we had stones of remembrance, whether they were written in our journal, whether it's something we hung on our wall, whether it's just a mental list we went through of ways that God has shown up in the past? Because there's something about remembering that gives us hope for the future, that it has nothing to do with our present circumstances. It has everything to do with the character and faithfulness of God. Because we are in hard and difficult times where things are changing, where um, the rules seem to be changing day by day, but we serve a God who doesn't change. He's been faithful. He will be faithful. He has provided. He will provide. He's good, and we can have hope in who he is. There's another story that I wanted to share, um, and this one is from the New Testament. But before we get there, there was one more thing I wanted to point out from this Joshua passage. It talks about in the future, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off by the Ark of the Covenant from the Lord. And the thing about remembering what God has done is it encourages you, but it also educates others. Remembering what God has done encourages you and educates others that our testimony can be a faith-building opportunity for somebody else. And that's powerful as parents, as people who are trying to, to point our coworkers to Christ, as people who have family members who are far from him, to be able to say, look, this is what God has done in my life. And it's encouraging you and it's also educating them about the character and goodness and faithfulness of God. This is one thing that I've actually really, really loved about Facebook during this time. There's a lot of things I've hated about Facebook <laughs> during this time. There's plenty of reasons where I've wanted to just be like, I need to log off for a season. But one reason that has stopped me is Facebook memories. Because I've had memories of things pop up that remind me of what God has done. Some from even just this last year, as we've been going through the summer, it's leading up to our one year anniversary, which means last summer we were getting ready to start Hope Culture Church. We had 17 people in our living room praying for you, for our cities, for our community, asking God, this isn't starting with us. This is something you started long before us that you're calling us into, calling us to be a part of, bringing hope to Elgin, bringing hope to the greater Fox Valley area. Would you do it? Would you use us? We know you're leading us to it. And then to look back and see 
the next prayer meeting, that more people are there, different people are there. And then as we're getting closer, the people that God brought in his faithfulness in providing uh, a trailer and his faithfulness in providing a truck and his faithfulness in opening the doors to the center and all of these things. I'm just like, wow, God, you just answered prayer after prayer after prayer. There, we could look back at the notes from those first prayer meetings. And there is not a thing on that list that we prayed for that has not been answered. And so as I see my Facebook memories, I'm reminded of the faithfulness of God and it gives me confidence in this season when I can't see all the answers that he's going to show up again. Even if I don't know what that is going to look like, I know that he will because as my circumstances change, my God does not. It encourages me and it educates the people around us. You know, that's an important thing when it comes to parenting. We need to, as Proverbs says, train up our child in the way they should go. And there's this new thing that I've been starting to hear from some families, mostly outside of the church of, you know, we want our child to grow up to believe whatever they believe. And I hear their heart in it, that they, they want their child to figure it out. But I just think, man, that is so not what God has. God is asking for us to disciple our kids, to lead our kids, to live a life for Jesus. We were actually at the car dealership just not long ago. Some of you heard our van broke down. So sad. We went to go get a new one and we were talking to our dealer. And actually, before we went, I was actually praying, God, if there's time when we're just sitting there filling out paperwork, would you uh, like bring up a conversation about faith? Would you make it really easy? And sure enough, it happened. We're halfway through. We've already, we've already shook his hand. This is the car we're going to get. And we're filling out paperwork. And I just started asking him, hey, Caesar, what do you, what, what, where are you at with faith? Like, how are you raised? What are you doing now? Like, what do you believe? And we just started having this really open conversation and he talked about his parents and he's like, my parents kind of raised me to, to just believe whatever I believe. They weren't, didn't really like form that inside of me. And it just got me thinking like, we believe in raising up the next spirit-filled generation. And if we don't share who God is and what he's doing in our life, they're not going to follow him. They're going to think it's a bunch of rules or it's just something that made us feel better or, or that sort of thing. We need to show them who God is. Like God is saying, hey, Israelites, show your kids this is what God did. Let's share the testimonies. Let's share the prayer requests before their testimonies. What I like about the story of Joshua here where they crossed the river is we see that their test turned into a testimony, that while they're in the wilderness and things are going wrong and they've been disobeying God and out in the wilderness for 40 years, he turns that into a testimony, that the way he started by getting them out of Egypt parting the waters is the way he's going to get them out back into the promised land and what he has for them, that their test turned into their testimony. And it's not just for them, but for their children and for the future. We need to share what is going on in our life with those around us so that they can see our faith before it even happens and then see our God's goodness as he answers the prayer. I told you there was a second story I wanted to share, and this one's from the New Testament. It's in Mark chapter 8. And this one actually might surprise some of you who grew up around church. Maybe you knew it, maybe you didn't, but Bible trivia. Did you know there's two times that Jesus multiplies uh, the bread for a huge group of people? There's one time it's for 5,000 and there's one time that it's for 4,000. So this is the 4,000 one. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 13, it says this. Then he left them, this is right after he fed them, got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread. 
classic disciples, you know, just forgetting stuff, except one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Jesus, being Jesus, starts teaching them, right? He says this in verse 15, be careful, Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. We talked about this in our parable series, how yeast is a fungi that a little bit goes a long way and it can spread. We talked about how the kingdom of heaven is like that. It starts small and grows big. This time he's using it in a negative way, saying a little bit of of something bad can also spread rather quickly. Be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees, the people who have religious rules without any relationship, and be careful of the yeast of Herod, you know, politics. Don't put all your faith there either. And then verse 16, he says, they discuss this with one another and they're like, is this because we have no bread? And (laughs) they just totally didn't get it. And I think this is funny because sometimes we're like, wouldn't it be so cool to hang out with Jesus? And I think it really, really would be, but I think it'd also be a little different than we expected it to be. I think there would be a lot of times where we were really confused because the disciples all the time are hanging out with him and and not getting what he's saying. He's like, I'm trying to teach you something. And they're like, is this because we have no bread? He's like, no, don't you get it? And he says this in, in verse 17, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Verse 18, do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets and pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they replied, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? And so Jesus is saying, you're asking the wrong questions. I'm trying to teach you something and you're worried about what you have right in front of you, which is so often the case because we're, we're asking God the same questions. Like, what are you going to do about this situation? What do I do about this? I don't know the right next decision. I need help with this. And we're so focused on what's right in front of us because it's all we can see. And he's saying, you need to be looking past that at what I have for you. This goes back to our vision message from a couple weeks ago. And so um, recently my mom subscribed our kids to Highlights Magazine. Anybody know Highlights Magazine? Anybody get that as a kid? I got that as a kid. It was awesome. Maybe it was in the doctor's office or the dentist's office. My favorite part was when there was the two pictures next to each other and you're supposed to figure out what's different and what's similar and that sort of thing. So that's kind of what I want to do with the two stories of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000. And in both miracles, um, there was more left over than they started with, which is really cool. God is a God of provision and multiplication. What also is cool is that both miracles, the disciples asked the wrong questions. In the first one, you know, they're like, there's all these people, there's 5,000 people, and that's just men. That's not counting women and children. It's probably a lot more than that. And they're like, how are we going to pay for this? They're like, this is going to cost like a half a year's wages just to feed all these people. You know, their concern is what is right in front of them? How are we going to afford this? And Jesus is like responding with a question. How many do you have right now? What do you have right now? So they go and find that boy with the loaves and the fishes. The second miracle is similar. They're not worried about money this time. They're worried about location. They're like, where are we even going to get food right now? We're not even near something. You know, they're in a different valley right now. They're like, we don't have somewhere we can go to even buy it. Again, Jesus is saying, what do you already have? And this is so true that the questions we ask often cause us to worry. 
If you don't believe me, Jesus teaches this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, stop asking, what will I eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? Don't you see the birds of the air and how I provide for them? And he says, instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So often we are looking at what's right in front of us and saying, God, what do I do about this? And his response is, what do you already have? I think this does a couple things. I think that taking inventory of what God has already given you produces gratitude. Gratitude changes everything. Gratitude gives you peace. It creates thankfulness. And it it reminds you that God is in control. Counting your blessings, seeing what you're already working with, oftentimes also allows you to see what God wants to do in your current situation. That, you know, there's this moment that God is saying, how many loaves do you have? for the first miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, and they go and check how many loaves they have and they find this boy, they come back with loaves and fish. He didn't even say how much fish do you have. But when you realize and stop asking about what you don't have, you realize what God has already given you. And it's often more than you think. He's given you the next thing that you need to do. He's given you enough to step forward. And it's in that movement that he meets us. The multiplication happens as they pass out the food. So often we want the multiplication to happen instantly. And we're like, God, we don't mind being your hands and feet and passing out what you have. We just want to make sure that you're going to do it. But it's in the action. It's in the stepping out and using what he's already given us that he meets us right there. If 2020 has taught us anything, it's that we're not in control anyway. It's that we didn't have as much control as we thought we did in the first place. So why are we so focused about what is not in our hand? Why don't we just take what is in our hand and say, God, this was yours in the first place. What do you want to do with it? The situation I'm in, it's not what I expected it to be, but you can use it however you want. This position at at work, this lack of position at work, this relationship, tension, God, what do you want to do with it? And this is yours. I'm giving it to you. Do whatever you want with it. I'm trusting you. I believe that you're going to do something, not because of what I can see right in front of me, but because of what I can see in the past, that you've done something before, that you've shown up every single time. Which brings me to my last point. God doesn't change. Malachi 3.6 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. Numbers 23.19, God is not a human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? No. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. No matter how much your situation has changed, God has not. We can have hope, not because of anything we see in front of us, but because what we can see behind us, that he's been faithful before and he'll be faithful again. That in him, all the promises of Jesus are yes and amen. We're about to sing that in just a moment here, that our God is unchanging. Faithful he's been, faithful he'll be. You know, he's a man of his word. He's a God of his word. We can have hope in hard and uncertain times because we have an unchanging and faithful God. We need to remember to remember. We need to remind ourselves of what he's already done. We need to remind ourselves of who he is which brings us to talking about the difference between optimism and hope. Optimism is personal trust. It's it's believing in yourself. Hope is personal trust in God, believing in who he is. 
Optimism is what you can do. Hope is what God can do. Optimism is psychological. Hope is theological. Hope is something that you have because of who he is. Optimism is something you have because of who you are. We can have hope because we have a God who doesn't change. Faith holds on to hope. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. I want to close with this last verse, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him. That blessing that, that Paul is speaking over the Romans and, and we're speaking over you right now is that you'd be filled with joy and peace, but it would come as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would fill us with hope, hope that doesn't make sense when we look at the world around us. God, that you'd fill us with peace that surpasses understanding, that we can look around and have no reason to have peace, except that we can look up and we can look at your past history and we can have peace in who you are. God, would you change us from the inside out? Would we be people marked by your spirit that look different than the world around us? That as we set up stones of remembrance, as we look at your past faithfulness, as we share testimonies of your goodness, it would encourage us and educate others. God, we look to you. You're where our help comes from. We desperately need you. What is in our hands is yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I want us to leave filled with hope today. I want us to believe that the best is yet ahead. We don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know how that's going to unfold. But we know that with God, he's not done. That at some point, there's going to be a great reckoning of all things, that things will be reconciled to the way they're meant to be. You know, our greatest hope, as Paul puts it, is in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's nothing else. There's a song that says, uh, I hope in nothing else but Jesus' blood and righteousness. That is where our hope is found. So if you're looking for that hope, if you're without peace, if you're filled with anxiety today, I can tell you this. Joining the family of God gives you the ability to have hope. Does it make your life perfect? Absolutely not. Do, does everything fall into place and become perfect? No. But you can live filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with peace, filled with joy, and filled with a confident expectation that he's not done. If that's what you want, if you want to be entered in the family of God, if you want him to remove your sin and the power of it in your life, all you have to do is come to him with all that you are. It's a big decision, but it's, it's at the same time pretty simple. You're saying, God, all I have is now all yours. I'm choosing to follow you with my whole life the things that I agree with and don't agree with, I'm choosing to follow you. I admit I've fallen short. I believe in you in Jesus' name. I would love to pray that with you. If that's you, would you just pray with me right now? God, forgive me for falling short of your standard. I can't do this life on my own. I wasn't meant to. I wasn't created to. Would you forgive me? And would you make me brand new? I believe that Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross for my sins, and rose again. And I'm choosing to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing what we just talked about, that faithful he's been and faithful he will be.